Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Cats at Night. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. This is John Katsimatidis. This is Cats at Night, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And, and uh, you want to find out what's going on in the world? You, you turn, turn us on and you'll know this is a TriCast on WABC Radio, WLIR, and 970 AM, The Answer. And in the studio, we have a common-sense Democrat, Judge Richard Weinberg, a common-sense Republican, uh, Craig Eaton, 10 years, the GOP chair of of Brooklyn. And on my side, we got Lydia Serrani. And um, a lot of things going on. What a mess Third Avenue is uh, the last few oh days. Oh, my and, God. And, uh, it took me three hours. Uh, the, the president, uh, uh, Biden, is staying, I understand, around the corner. So it uh, ties up the streets real, real well. But you, you, know have, what? you have the diplomats at all these other hotels, so it seems like every street in this 20-block radius is All I could jam. say is, go home! You go know back to San Francisco, you, you know, win. What's interesting is when Biden went by his motorcade, I remember when Trump would go by, everybody would cheer. Nobody cheered. Nobody cheered for Biden. Even in New York, they cheered? Even in New York City, nobody cheered. We have the video to prove it. In fact, you could hear a guy in the background say, we want Trump back. But enough is enough. I mean, I think the people in New York, you see the, the homeless people, you see everyone panhandling out here. Well, the squeegee people are back. Yeah, they are. And, and look what happened uh, today. They announced, what was the breaking news this morning? Uh, Tish I James, mean, the attorney no, general. No, no. How many people moved out of New York? Oh, oh. There's a mass. Escape, escape from New York. Mass migration. Yeah. So escape where? from New York. Well, guys, you're stepping on each other. Get, get with it. The number I read was 42,000. Right. 42,000 people in what period of time? And then the, in the last uh, year, listen, yeah. you come to the last show, year. come get the facts. In one in, in one, one year, year alone, forty two thousand. That's so, all. I thought it was a lot more than that. Well, it's been a couple of months. But actually. you replaced the forty two thousand, so no population drop. You you replaced the forty two thousand with whom? With, with, with whom? With forty two thousand migrants. Yeah. yeah. So, so you know, you, the forty two thousand were paying big taxes. The forty two thousand migrants, we paid them to come here. Absolutely. Uh, we're supposed to have a great show for today. What do we have? Uh, we have, we're going to talk to Charlie Gasparino about the Fed raising the rates another five, 75 basis, basis points. We're going to talk to Andrew McCarthy. You don't want to miss what he has to say. Of course, he's the former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. We'll also be talking to former chief of staff to Governor Cuomo, now Democratic strategist, Melissa DeRosa, Dr. Peter Mikolos. Oh boy, there is another health crisis going on in the United States. But first on the line, we got Michael Goodwin, Pulitzer Prize winning New York Post columnist. Welcome back to Cats at Night. My pleasure. Thank you, Lydia. Well, the big story today, Letitia James, the Attorney General of New York, says that Donald Trump, she's suing him for $250 million because he defrauded New York. Does anybody know how he defrauded him? Well, Letitia James seems to have made a career out of prosecuting and some would say persecuting Donald Trump. It is extraordinary. She ran. She actually campaigned that this is what she would do as attorney general. And she did it. Uh, And she continues to do it. And she's running for reelection. So I guess she's going to just do it until one of them dies. 
uh, I mean, it is remarkable that this this desire to get Donald Trump, uh, Andrew Weissman, the uh, the federal prosecutor who was on the Mueller team and was then in the end furious that he thought Mueller was too soft and. Then he went to the Manhattan – I think he was working on the Manhattan DA's case, and he left there where he was advising. Uh, he compared Trump to Hitler the other day. That uh, Hit, you know, Hitler tried a coup. That's how he started, by trying a coup. I mean, these people are obsessed with Donald Trump. They, mm-hmm. you, you, you get the feeling like this is, uh, this is more than an ordinary obsession. Mike, and, and they also brought down Andrew Cuomo, and later on we're going to have Melissa DeRosa. Uh, DeRosa on, who was Andrew Cuomo's chief of staff. Michael, you know what the, this is Richard Weinberg. You know what the problem from my vantage point is, as a House Democrat is? That they're not fair. They have a double standard that the checklist of things that you would say are, are fascistic or totalitarian, if you look at what the Democratic left wing has been doing to this country, this city, and this state, they're checking all those boxes. They're the ones who have censorship, wokeism. They're the ones who are doing persecutions. They're the ones who are weaponizing law enforcement, double standard justice in the courts. They're the ones who are doing it. It's not Trump. Everything they've accused Trump of, it's almost like a psychological projection. What say you, Michael? Right. Well, no, I think you make a good point, Richard. And I, and I do believe that, it, to me, all of this has a sense, a feeling of an end of something, right? If, if you can eliminate your opponents, if you can silence them, cancel them, prosecute them, that's the end of something. That, that is the end of democracy. That's the end of you know, traditional liberalism. It's the end of a lot of things that made our country special that we didn't go down that road. There's always temptations to do it. Uh, When you get power, nobody wants to give it up. Uh, But, you know, the remarkable thing, of course, the the George Washington example, to voluntarily walk away from power. I mean, people thought, wow, nobody's ever done that. No king has ever done that. No, you know, nobody has ever given up power voluntarily. George Washington did that. And I think that set a tone for this country. And people, you know, I'm still amazed. When I first, as an adult, focused on on Washington's example, I thought – that's really quite amazing when you understand the nature of power, the, the, what people will do to get and hold on to power, that somebody would voluntarily give it up, not because he was of ill health or any other reason, just he thought it was good. It was time to pass the baton. And when, when we have this cancel culture, when we have this destroy the opposition, lock them up, silence them, then we are just letting this passion for power run unchecked. And if that, I mean, it, look, our laws are one thing, our traditions are another, but if you lose the spirit of America, if you lose that spirit of voluntarily cooperating, uh, voluntarily realizing that you need contrarian points of view, that you need opposition, that it's in that struggle, that argument for who has the better idea, where you get the best idea. Uh, when you lose that, you lose a whole lot of things. And I'm afraid we're getting awfully close to the tipping point. We are close to that tipping point. I got a question, uh, Michael. Later on, uh, Andrew Cuomo. You know, I Tish James is a friend of mine, and I don't agree with everything she does, but she is a friend. But 
Andrew Cuomo was brought down, and the, the, I've been told, and I want to want your just opinion on it. The uh, it was it, part of it was called upon by the White House. In other words, they didn't want Andrew Cuomo around for the twenty twenty uh, four election. Well, look, I I think that's Andrew Cuomo's version. That I mean, he he spoke to uh, Cindy Adams in the Post, mm-hmm. and when you look at everything he lays out there, you would think he's as pure as the driven snow. Uh, he he always omits the fact that. The attorney general's investigation done by outside investigators, not by her, not by her office, outside investigators, well-respected people, found confirmation of that he harassed 11 different women. Now, he forgets that, and he acts as though everybody should have supported him and rallied around him. Uh, Look, I, I think there are two parts to this story. One is I believe he was guilty. I believe he was unfit to serve after that guilt was established. And secondly, I think Andrew Cuomo had no friends. He had no friends politically. I don't know about his personal life, but he had no political friends because he played the bully all the time. It was always threaten, demean, diminish. And so I think that it was the former, the guilt— that led to the latter, where everybody said, "Screw him." That's right. We never. He didn't. He <laughs> never right. gave us anything. But for him to think that it's only the second part—that only people turned on him who he thought were his friends—that I think is just more of the same old Andrew Cuomo ego. Well, I think I think during COVID, the way he handled COVID, is he would have those almost daily press conferences where everyone had to bow down to him, and and you know I think people got tired of that. And we know what happened with the nursing home crisis and that mandate that he could have overturned. But that, to me, was way more egregious than the sexual harassment. Speaking, Michael Goodwin of Governors, Governor Hochul, there was recently that scandal talking about the mega donor. Just uh, what was it? Four days prior, he held a fundraiser for her and then she gave him a massive no bid contract. Why isn't Tish James investigating that? I mean, to me, she's she's too busy going after Trump. Well, that to me is crazy (laughs) that uh, you have a mega donor. Then she gets this unilateral like omnipotent power to give this well, person this ridiculous. Emer- she yeah. declared the emergency. The emergency allowed her to avoid competitive bidding and make a sole source contract. That's the gimmick. Right. So then we ended up paying as New Yorkers twice as much for COVID tests. Where's the investigation there, Michael Goodwin? Well, um, you know, traditionally, one of the reasons that you had federal prosecutors, not a reason why they existed, but a reason why they would take cases like this is because inherently there's a conflict of interest with the Democratic establishment. And Tish James and Kathy Hochul will be on the ballot together. And so expecting Tish James to now investigate Kathy Hochul would be possibly jeopardizing James's own reelection. So that's where the federal prosecutors are supposed to come in. Unfortunately, we now have what I regard as a corrupt attorney general. I believe Merrick Garland will not investigate a Democrat uh, nearly as fast as he'll investigate a Republican. I mean, I think what he has done with the Department of Justice is given a long black eye 
that will last long beyond his tenure. I mean, the the use of the FBI for these raids on Republicans, and yet the Hunter Biden case goes on for more than four years without a single charge. That's not an investigation. That's you, you think he was promised maybe becoming a try for Supreme Court justice again? You know, I, I, I don't know, John, the, the sort of the, the, the secret uh, messaging that goes on there. But I do know that the New York Times reported in April that Joe Biden was unhappy that Merrick Garland had not prosecuted Donald Trump. And don't you know, since then, since that came out, it's been one case after another. Right? So who fed that to the Times to get it out there? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And and it was so cute in the Times. It said uh, <laughs> so that the uh, the president has never spoken directly to Gar- to uh, Merrick Garland about it. Of course, he doesn't have to. He told the Times. That's right. And the Times will tell Merrick Garland. I mean, that's the way it works. And so then they can both say, we've never discussed this. Right? Plausible <laughs> deniability. But, but, you know, Michael, this is Craig Eaton. Never in history have we had a state and a federal government with a concerted effort and a full court press on a former president. I don't think we've ever had this before. No, no. I mean, no form. The home of a former president has never before been the subject of a of a raid. And it's a, a disgrace. It's a disgrace I mean, how all, political it's yeah, become. Yeah. Now, and and it looks almost certain that and I've been predicting this for months that uh, he will be charged criminally with something. I mean, you've got both the Georgia. Uh, prosecutor going after him, a state prosecutor. But you've got you've got the document case, you've got the January sixth case, uh, you've got uh, several other cases that uh, Merrick Garland is looking at that with potential with grand juries, I believe, in at least two of them. So th- there is this desire, and the left, the far left, wants it, and I think. One of the great mysteries of the Biden administration is why he turned his presidency over to the far left. I mean, it, it wasn't why he was elected, but it's how he has governed. And look at what a mess he's made. I mean, it will take you just look at the border. You look at the economy. Uh, you look at the weaknesses around the world. I mean, why is it that Vladimir Putin invaded uh uh, Ukraine uh, a, a year or so after Joe Biden takes yep. office. Yep. Do you think Afghanistan withdrawal had anything to do with that? Of well, course it did. And what about the statement that uh, that Biden made about a minor incursion not being a big deal? Yeah, yeah, it's a green light. Of course. And so, I, look, I, I think Joe Biden is turning out to be quite a disaster. I think Merrick Garland is uh, is on the White House team. I mean, I think he's the enforcer. Um, I, I compared him recently to uh, Tom Tom Hagen in the uh, you know the uh, in, in the the Godfather. I mean that's sort of the role he's playing here. And you know, look, consigliere. I mean, well, he he was not at all concerned, right, about the leaking of the of the uh, Supreme Court decision. Well, that, but also the reason for the raid on right, Trump. Right, the details. He was not right. concerned. But then several days later, he comes out and issues a directive to the FBI and the Department of Justice employees that they are not to go to Congress as whistleblowers. Now, why would he feel the necessity to do that except that the whistleblowers were going to talk to the Republicans in Congress? 
I mean, that is the most. And then, of course, we have the the teacher, the uh, the parents being domestic terrorists. I mean, all these things are true. These things are all true. Joe Biden was getting money from Hunter Biden. This is true. This is not made up. And yet we, we don't hear. I believe they will not properly investigate Hunter Biden because it inevitably takes you to Joe Biden. There's no escaping it. You, you go through Hunter's bank accounts and money is going to Joe. Hunter has said it. I mean, Joe, Joe was sending him bills. Joe's accountant was sending Hunter bills for work on Joe's house. So this we've money, become so in essence, we've become a third world banana republic. Yes, yes. And Joe Biden is, you know, gives one one sentence answers. Oh, there's no conflicts of interest. There are no conflicts of interest. It's much more serious than that. Well, thank you so much, Michael Goodwin. God willing, we'll see some sort of justice prevail and stop with this bipartisanship and the weaponization of our government agencies. This is not what America was built on. So thank you so much, Michael Goodwin. And come back anytime. My pleasure. Thank you. So we do have to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Charlie Gasparino. Oh, my God. The market is a mess. Keep it right here. Cats at night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we're back. And uh, today, the market's roller coaster. And uh, to tell us what the heck is going on with us is Charlie Gasparino of Fox News. Uh, Charlie, I mean, it was up after the Fed chairman uh, uh, talked, and then it went down. What's going on? And it finished down, which is where it should finish. Um, you know, markets are imperfect on the short run. You know that. I mean, you know, it, and what is a short run? Well, definitely one day is a short run. And, you know, I think it takes time for people and algorithms to, you know, that's moving somebody's stocks. They trade off algorithms um, to digest the news and, you know, look at it in context of other things. But, I mean, here's the bottom line, John. We're having raising it, rising interest rates. The economy is clearly slowing because you see you see you see news of of layoffs, right? Um, there's no doubt we're heading into probably another quarter down, you know, negative quarter, which makes three quarters of negative growth, which usually means you got a recession, right? You put all that together, that's not good for stock valuations, and you get a repricing of stocks. On top of that, you get you get the Fed saying, okay, we're going to four and a half percent. What do you say, four and a quarter percent? On the Fed funds, I can't remember exactly what he's saying, but you know they they think they can get inflation below four and have real positive interest rates by keeping it at four and a quarter percent or something like that uh, on the Fed funds rate. So um, you know that's that, that's like three more hikes, and um, and then they're going to wait. If inflation doesn't go go away, then they're going to probably hike some more. So if you put all that together. You know, I'm not buying stocks because they're they're deflating the economy and they're causing they're going to cause corporate earnings to go down, which they're already starting to go down. Yeah, but Charlie, it's it's Richard Weinberg. What I'm concerned about is you know consumer confidence. I'm concerned that people and their IRAs, their third comps, their their Kios, their investment plans, they're looking at this and they're saying my wealth is going down. They're looking at the value of the house. They say my wealth is going down. Therefore, I'm not going to buy. I'm not going to contribute to the to the economy, and that's going to cost us stagflation. Well, there's no doubt that the economy is going to slow. 
you know, and there's no doubt that as it slows, we're still going to have inflation and that will be stagflation. There's there's no doubt about that. Now, at some point, the economy slows where you don't have uh, inflation anymore. So you just have the stag part. Right. And then that's kind of like when you stop things. And I think that's where they're heading. And, you know, here's the thing. They, they I mean, let's just be real clear here. They pump so much sugar into this system or heroin, however you want to call it. How about fentanyl? How about fentanyl? Or fentanyl into the system over the last, you know, it it really went on steroids, you know, in 2020 during the pandemic, but it just kept going. But, you know, Powell was pretty dovish even before that. Remember, Trump screamed at him and forced him to back off his rate increases. And, you know, the, the Trump administration continued to spend a lot. So we've had monetary and fiscal stimulus pretty heavy for, I would say, the last eight years. Uh, and particularly when Biden took over. Um, and now that always leads to inflation. And it's the Fed's job to make sure we don't have inflation because it's a wicked tax on the working class. If you have to – I mean some people sit around saying, well, why don't you just take the inflation? You know, Isn't that better? Well, if you got to work three jobs to, you know, to, to afford the same pound of meat, which is kind of what's going on with, with, uh, with working class people right now. And not kind of, but definitely going on. You know, that's a real problem for society. Society's fray at that. And they've always had historically, including us in the 1970s. Uh, but you can go back to Weimar Germany in the 30s. You know you know what happened next after that. Um, so it, I, I'm saying that if it's their job to get rid of inflation in the face of this, you know, there's only one way to do it. Well, there's actually two ways to do it, but the Biden administration won't let the other way. And we keep saying this on your show. There's a way to increase the supply side, meaning free up businesses to to invest, make it more, make it easier. You know, take the handcuffs off the drilling and and, and stuff like that. You know, remember the Biden administration does not approve many leases anymore for drilling. So we we are we have a, we have a we have a less oil in production. Uh, I know gas is down, but gas is down right now because guess what? We're we're heading for a recession. No demand. Do, yeah. So do that. You but that you should do that on regulations. You don't even. I'm not even calling for cutting taxes, but if you did that, you had the you have a Fed at least a less accommodating Fed that might counteract some of the stuff the Fed's doing and might slow the harm to the economy. But you know they won't do that in the Biden administration. They're all for regulations. They want to tax people. They want you know they want to do all this crazy, and they keep spending every time. The, every time we have a higher inflation print, they keep spending, making it worse. Right. So now we're in a mess. But Charlie, that second option you just discussed is the way we should be doing it, because it's a slippery slope. They have these aggressive steps to to tame the stub and inflation, they call it. Yet the housing market is going to get destroyed again. Consumer confidence is going to get destroyed again. And 90, 90 percent of the people sitting at their kitchen table don't really know about inflation and everything else. They but just you know, know that their IRAs are, are tanking, their mortgage interest is going up, their auto their auto rates are going up, and the economy is st- you know, strong. Here's the unfortunate thing. People put a lot of blood. The people's net worth are in their home and everything. Yes, yes. These homes are so overvalued right now. I mean, I, I just as someone who's always looking to buy another home – I mean, they are so over the top. They're not worth what they, you know, they're worth, you know, they're not worth what what the ask is right now all over the country. And I think uh, so that has to come down. That's the natural forces of the economy. Uh, There's no other way to do it. And, you know, if if you're going to have heavy government intervention in the economy, you're always going to have 
a boom and bust cycle. It's just the way it is because they'll pump it up and then it's got a bust to get rid of the inflation. And that's that. But the and, inflation happened for a reason, and we all know that. I get tired of talking about it. And uh, if the oil did not go up to $120, we wouldn't have had it. Yeah, no, I think it's more than that, John. I mean, we, we have inflation in stock prices. I mean, you know, meme stocks. I mean, come on. You know, we have inflation in financial assets, you know, crypto, dog coin. We have inflation in housing prices. I mean, it, it, it ratcheted through. There was a wicked wealth effect that occurred, and at, and it didn't matter for a time. And then all of a sudden, it started to filter into you know how you know it, you know wages and food and that's when this stuff really gets bad well we're coming up on a break but uh, charlie we pray for america thank you so much for everything you do anytime john thank you uh we're going to take a break right now we- this is cats at night on the red apple podcast network welcome back to the john cats matidis cats at night show now on the line for us we have andrew mccarthy he served as an assistant u.s attorney for the southern district of new york he's also a columnist for the national review and he's one smart guy welcome back to cats at night great to be with you so craig eaton you have a question andrew this is craig eaton how are you i'm an attorney in new york i do a lot of real estate and a lot of litigation and i read through the complaint and and I mean, if this isn't weaponizing the attorney general's office, I mean, I don't know what is. I have three questions. What did he do that was criminal? Who did he hurt? And, and there's no victim here. There has been no victim here. So, so what, is, what is this all about? Yeah, Craig, I, I think that you nail it with um, your, especially your first and last uh, point, because, um, you know, first of all, asking what the crime is here is a, is a good pointed question, because we're dealing not only with a civil lawsuit, which actually doesn't contain a criminal uh, allegation, but it is also a, uh, a lawsuit that's based on an investigation that federal prosecutors turned their nose up at. This was originally uh, an investigation that was run by my old office, the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District of New York, uh, and they decided that uh, you know it wasn't worth pursuing. That is not an office that, uh, to, to put it mildly, it's not an office that turns its nose up at, um, at attractive cases. So the fact that they decided not to pursue it, I think, is, is telling. And the other thing, obviously, as you point out, there's no victim. I mean, you would expect um, the way that, uh, that Tish James described the fraud here today in these, um, in these very extravagant uh, adjectives adjective-filled terms that you don't really uh, generally come to expect from uh, state prosecutors and and attorneys, Um, you would think that there would be an array of victims in a a big fraud case that's generally, you know, you think of Bernie Madoff, you think of cases like that, uh, you expect to find lots of people who lost their shirts. Uh, But of course, there's nothing here like that. And the fact is that, you know, Trump, I'm not, I don't carry a brief for Trump. I think exaggerations in his DNA, but at the same time, you know, he was dealing here with very sophisticated financial actors, you know, banks, insurance companies, uh, big accounting firms, uh, and the like. They do their own appraisals. Uh, yeah, of course they do. Well, John, you know yes. that better than, than exactly. anyone. Absolutely. I, mean, I could say my building is worth a billion dollars. That's right. 
But if it only appraises for two fifty, then the bank is only going to lend based on two fifty. And who's right? The bank is always right, right? You have to go by what the bank says. Well, the, the appraisal. What was the well, old, I, I what was the old a, expression? A, the golden rule. Though those who have the gold make the rules, and the banks <laughs> have the gold. There you go. That's right. I like that. Yeah. Like well, that. you know, look, I I think this is the, um, you know, it's. I think she's become notorious for this sort of thing. I, you know, I don't have a brief that I carry around for uh, Andrew Cuomo either. I mean, he's got a lot of uh, deep downsides. But, you know, it was a real hit-and-run job she did with him as well. She conducts a long investigation. She figures out an excuse to release it as a report. She never files a single complaint, not, a, not even a civil lawsuit like this. Uh, not a single DA in the state of New York uh, thought that her findings were good enough to base any criminal prosecutions on. Uh, and then, you know, but she's basically eliminated her political target, which is what she set out to do. And then she moves on to the next thing. And here she she announced the this lawsuit with a lot of bells and whistles today. But it's going to take years to get it through the court. And she'll be long gone on to the next thing by the time it gets settled, if that ever happens. Andrew, it's, it's Richard Wormer. Let me ask you a question. To my understanding, there's still an ongoing investigation, a joint investigation by the Southern District of New York and the New York County DA's office. So what does this case that's just been filed, the 200-page complaint, have to do with uh, that criminal investigation? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's um, – I'd be surprised if there's much going on in the Southern District of New York. They looked at this case, and I think they basically decided that building a case on the testimony of Michael Cohen was not – uh, a good idea. You know, he badly wanted a cooperation agreement, didn't get one, ended up being sentenced to three years imprisonment. And the DA's investigation after two, not one. Well, when does the three years happen? I saw him and he was in, eating in a uh, in a restaurant in Southampton last week. He got out during COVID. He got out during COVID. Oh, okay. House, no, listen, I, I, I like the guy as a person, yeah. but you know, I, don't, I don't know. I let's, let's, go back, let's go back to Andrew. So what, tell me about, and the New York County, the New York County DA they had a couple of people who walked out because they didn't like the fact that he, that Alvin Bragg said there's, there's no there there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, Judge, one of those people was Mark Pomerantz, who was my old uh, criminal division chief in the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office uh, in, in Manhattan, who I think very highly of. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it, this is a case that they spent three years on. They went up and down to the Supreme Court to get Trump's personal financial records uh, twice. And after they finally got access to them and they poured over them, uh, they decided that uh, they couldn't charge Trump. They they got his chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg, and they, they brayed that they had gotten him to plead guilty to 15 felony counts. But the small print is he's going to do about 100 days in jail uh, and he's going to testify. Is it next month? I think they're going to have a trial against the Trump organization. Uh, which is just a, you know, it's a it's a gussied up tax case um, it, where it, they, you know, they basically went for the, you know, they went for the white whale and they didn't get it. Uh, Andrew McCarthy, I want to read to everyone uh, partially what Trump said. He responded uh, regarding Tish James. He said she's a fraud who campaigns on a get Trump platform, despite the fact that the city is is one of the crime and murder disasters of the world under her watch. Attorney General Letitia Peekaboo James, a total crime fighting disaster in New York. 
is spending all of her time fighting for very powerful and well-respected banks and insurance companies who were fully paid, made a lot of money, and had not a single complaint about me instead of fighting murder and violent crime, which is killing New York State. He also mentions that her polling numbers are bad. I think he's a, what did you say, John? He's a lot more right than wrong here. Yeah, well, you know, look, I, I think as a political statement, that that is about what you would expect from Trump. It's very, <laughs> it's very well uh, thought through and thorough, and uh, it'll be effective. At the same time, I presume that the former president knows that the, you know, the attorney general of the state of New York doesn't have a lot of criminal jurisdiction. It's not really her job to uh, chase down street crime. I think he's making a very effective political point that, uh, you know, with New York's crime rates uh, surging, and I think I read in the in the post a week or two ago that uh, our major crime in the city is up about 36 percent over last year, and last year was a high crime year. So I think Trump's quite right to make a comparison between uh, the fact that we have real surging crime, which is making our streets unsafe. And at the same time, this is the kind of stuff that they have time for, um, which, you know, I think anybody um, – if I were a, still a taxpayer in New York City, I'd be pretty upset about that. Andrew McCarthy, thank you for everything you've done for our, our country, our city, and continue to speak out for it. And uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you all for having me. Thank you. Uh, and now we have Melissa DeRosa. And uh, she was uh, secretary to Governor Cuomo. Uh, before that, she was chief of staff of uh, New York Attorney General Governor Cuomo. And uh, welcome to the show, Melissa. Hey, John. Great to be here. And uh, one of the things uh, we talked about is the fact that we got a problem in New York right now. Uh, the police commissioner that was on my show a few weeks ago says we got 8,500,000 New, York, New Yorkers and 3,000 violent criminals. And those 3,000 violent criminals are repeat criminals. Why aren't we putting them away in jail and, and getting our city back to safety? You know, look, obviously public safety is job one for government, for the governor, for the mayor. It has to be everybody's top priority because without it, the city can't function. And you're seeing a lot of outward migration as a result of COVID, and you see over and over again in polling that people don't feel safe. I know that, you know, I, as a woman, if I'm walking around late at night and it's dark, I try to avoid streets where there aren't doormen or there aren't businesses that are open. And so it's, it's a real thing. And I think that Eric Adams, former cop, law enforcement guy, is saying all of the right things. I think that he is approaching this very smartly in terms of the plans that he's laying out. And now the question is, is he going to get the resources he needs in order to make them a reality. And that's on Albany. So, you know, I'm reading in the paper, as I'm sure you are, they're in a $10 billion hole, the city, out of no failing of Mayor Adams. He has handed a bag by Bill de Blasio, which is just, you know, he's walking into this with his hands tied behind his back. And he's got to make up the difference, and he's making these major cuts across citywide agencies, including the police department, because they've got nowhere else to go for money. And that's a problem. And would you let your kids go in the subway right now? I mean, you know, I think that the subways 
are safe depending on the time of day, the area that you're in. I personally If you got a Rocky Colorado bat with you, maybe. <laughs> I think that I think that some of the some of the uh, some of the condemnation of the subways isn't isn't quite the rhetoric doesn't quite match the reality. But and I think that we need more people on the subways to make them safer. But to your point, John, look when the when Andrew Cuomo was governor, he was out there saying and he used to get beaten up all the time for it that he wanted a cop on every subway. He wanted a cop on every platform. You know, people feel safe when they have law enforcement present. And right now we're in a situation where things are spiraling out of control, in my view, and things are only going to be made worse. It's more and more you have to tighten the wallet. And if you're going to be laying off cops or making, you know, cutting corners in the NYPD. This is Craig Eaton. I I read today that, that the mayor wants to cut back on the police department, cut back on cops. I mean, right now. We have total chaos in our streets. We got the subways, which are not safe. The streets are not safe. In, the, in broad daylight in Bay Ridge, where I am, people are getting shot. I mean, we never saw this in the last 30 years. But you know what? It all comes down to the state legislature. Stop, question, and frisk, discovery reform, bail reform. This was, this was, these were mistakes that were made by the state senate and the state assembly. We need to reverse those. Look, I think that in in regards to Eric Adams having to, you know, what he said he was going to make those cuts in the NYPD, I don't think he wants to do that. I think he's being forced to do that. I think that he has this $10 billion hole and he's got to wait. Got, got is that, is that before or after he wants to spend $10 billion to put put uh, jails in your, your local neighborhood? What neighborhood do you do, do you work in? Uh, well, we'd like to put a jail across the street from you. <laughs> But I do think that, to your point, you know, I think that the criminal justice system was tilted in the wrong direction for a long time. I think that we made some very necessary changes in Albany to discovery and bail and other things. But I think that it's also true that you pass these policies, you then have to take a hard look at the practical impact of them, and then you have to make changes accordingly. And I think that what they did this year in Albany amounted to absolutely nothing. I think that they ended up pissing off both sides, people who didn't want to fix it and the people who wanted to fix it, um, and ended up no better than where they were. And I think that Eric Adams' position on needing to roll back bail reform more, and I don't even view it as a rollback. I, I view it as just a different approach, giving judges the discretion on dangerousness, which is exactly how New Jersey and other places did it. I think that that is an absolutely legitimate position. And I think that a lot of people like you guys and a lot of people who read the newspaper every day and who live in the city take that position. And I think that he's right to be fighting for it. The people of New York elected him. So it's his job to get it done. Melissa, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. I, uh, I read your article in the Daily Beast about the border. And, yep. and much like your discussion just now about uh, the changes to the uh, criminal justice system made by the legislature, you raise, a, you raise a good point, which is the law of unintended consequences. They came up with these pie-in-the-sky ideas. They pushed them through. They said uh, the border is safe. It's not safe. They said Trump was wrong with uh, Remain in Mexico. You can argue about that. But they had no plan to deal with the reality that unfolded where they have no place to put these people. The places that they're being shipped to in the middle of the night by the Biden administration were not prepared to do it. And as you point out in your article, the uh, the governors who uh, pushed these people around also didn't give a heads up to local communities. But the fact of the matter is this is a failure of the Biden administration, the failure to enforce the protection of our borders. What do you say about that? 
I, you know, I take a slightly more nuanced approach. I think that Biden, you know, ran in part on undoing the 2019 policy that Trump enacted when he said those waiting to seek asylum have to wait outside of the United States. You know, it was remain in Mexico policy while they waited sometimes years for their applications to get resolved. And Biden ran on in part changing that. He got elected. That's his prerogative. But, you know, you can't just unilaterally make these decisions without anticipating the real life consequences. And so to your point, if the Biden administration was going to undo that policy, which they did in the beginning of August, it was on them to figure out what's the centralized system as people cross the border for how you're going to track people. How are you going to work with mayors and governors around the country who are sanctuary localities or states who are willing to take on the additional burden in the shelter systems and other things and identify capacity. How are you getting the money to be able to do it? You know, this is management 101. And the reality is that you've got people like Eric Adams, who now is out there saying the shelter system is on the brink. And I sympathize for him because this is happening, you know, completely uncoordinated fashion. Abbott thinks it's a joke to use these people as political pawns. Same with DeSantis. They're showing up by the busload and New York City taxpayers are on the other side of it. And the very real human consequence of treating real people as pawns. I mean, the woman who committed suicide on Monday I mean, this is real tragedy on top of tragedy. And at the end of the day, it amounts to governmental incompetence. And I, you know, I said this in my column, you know, where the hell is Joe Biden? He's the president. He's the guy. It's not enough to stand there and criticize what the Republicans are doing. He needs to actually step up, manhandle this thing and take control. Well, Melissa DeRosa, I hope you come back again and give us some more uh, uh, facts and uh... Well, thank you for everything you've done for our city and our state, and uh, continue to work and uh, work at it. And we'll catch Thanks up so again. Thank you so much, guys. Thank Great you. We'll catch up here. soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's take Thanks. a break, and we're going to come back as uh, uh, Dr. Peter Mihalos, and he's got some new revelations uh, about what the heck is going on with uh, certain diseases. Let's take. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we're back, and we got Dr. Peter Mihalos. And, uh, you know, you always, Peter, uh, Dr. Peter, you always give us revelations of what's going on in in our city, our state, our country, the world. What 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 are the, today's revelations? Well, today we're going to talk about something very interesting because we've been so focused on uh, COVID and other things like monkeypox recently that the CDC made some announcements and some statistics that uh, cases of syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia are up 26 uh, uh, percent from last year. And uh, in the last three years, we've been uh, pushing two and a half million cases a year of syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea. Are people having more sex? Is that what it is? Or maybe they're on drugs and they don't know what the heck they're doing. Well, we have less protection. And one of the things we talked about in the past, too, is when people were getting arrested in the old days on Rikers Island, used to get intense screening of everything. But now with this uh, bail reform, uh, is uncompassionate because these people aren't getting treated and screened. So that's one place where we're not doing a good job. And also in public education, we're focusing on so many other things instead of uh, getting uh, education on avoiding sexually transmitted diseases, which can damage other things like future having the ability to have children and pelvic inflammatory disease and other diseases and AIDS is even up 16%. So we thought that went away. And a lot of these things have treatment. It's just that we don't really have uh, 
enough uh, money being spent on that area of prevention and treatment. I mean, he's bringing it up an excellent point. Who would ever think that because of the lawlessness that's going on in the country, because of the homeless people living on the streets and what about all the people that are coming in? Mig- I'm not saying the migrants have the, uh, the sexually transmitted disease, but they have COVID. They will we, soon enough. We don't know who these enough. people are. And there's it's just it's not good. I don't know what else to say. But, it, you know, jail can be good for some people. Getting into I, services can be good for your, some people. Lydia, to your point, Dr. Miklos's point, I can't tell you the number of defendants I had before me in 15 years where they would ask me on a plea bargain for more time so they could have their teeth fixed or they could have an operation. It was literally true. And I looked at him. I said, well, if I give you another 60 days, will I do it? He says, well, doctor, I, he says, judge, I probably need a, like at least at least six months. Can you sentence me to six months so I know I'll get all the treatment I needed? And that happened. And, and, scary. and Dr. Scary. Mikolos, a lot of people that were diagnosed with monkeypox, they had an, another disease, right? They had HIV. So sometimes it's actually good when you when you go and get services. Yeah, it's part of the screening, and that's why we need more home testing, and they're working on actually home testing for diseases like uh, syphilis. And, for example, you know, it can be deadly, too. For example, syphilis cases in pregnant women. We used to see in 2010 only 300 cases a year. Now there were reported 2,700 cases of syphilis in pregnant women, and that results in a lot of stillbirths, and 211 of them resulted in stillbirths, and uh, it's even killing the innocent unborn, which is a a real uh, tragedy, and uh, we need to start having more clinics. I think we need more rapid testing clinics to be available for all types of uh, diseases. But syphilis is a very dangerous disease. It's a very, because it can lead to paralysis and then kill you. It can kill you, right. Brain disease, it can kill you. It can cause all kinds of uh, madness. It even affects the eyes. I've seen cases where it shows up in the eye as uveitis or inflammation and sometimes can get diagnosed there in, in medicine and ophthalmology. We see it, chlamydia in the eye. You can see gonorrhea in the eye. And all these things are uh, bacterial infections and when they're not treated. But the other scary thing is we're also seeing more resistant cases to organisms from uh, the, back, the antibiotics we currently have don't work on all these things now. So I think we need more public education, more awareness, and also condom use has been uh, down among uh, young people. So I think that education is going to be very important and uh, I think more screening. Also, when you used to get married, if you remember, Judge, in the old days, you used to have to get That's exactly the, right. uh, syphilis test. That's exactly and then right. they got rid of that too. So uh, I, I think there should be, before people get married, there should be also a, a test for uh, you know parenting and things like that and preparation and preparing people for life, plus a good uh, physical exam and some uh, Lab work. Give us some, uh, doctor. Give much. us some other news other than uh, syphilis. <laughs> give us some good news. <laughs> Do we have any good news? No. The good, the good news is that there's all kinds of tremendous new medicines coming out in the field of diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, because of American innovation, and because we have a free capitalistic society where people invest in new medicines and drugs, and the rest of the world waits for us to innovate all these new different things. Uh, the other great news is there's going to be more new antiviral treatment and antibody treatments for various diseases. And some of the uh, new technology for vaccines, we're going to start hearing about vaccines to help prevent things like pancreatic cancer. There's going to be breast cancer vaccines. Wow. And uh, we already have the vaccines that they have for HPV, and that prevents cases of cervical cancer for the human papillomavirus. So we're seeing a lot of progress, and there's a lot of uh, disease prevention that's happening too 
and uh, one fellow even came in and uh, asked me, "What do you call uh, uh, what do you call VD of the nose?" And I said, "Well, I, I would call it sniffleless." <laughs> well, we need a little bit of humor. Thank you, Dr. Michalos. And, uh, and uh, what, do we sta- what do we all stand for? Dr. Michalos, what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, Truth. and the American way. God bless America. Thank you very much, and thank you to all our listeners. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 